Amen. Good morning, church. Praise God. It's good to be together again. Month of love, February. Okay, Valentine's Day tomorrow. So those of you with a special somebody in your life, don't forget tomorrow, please. Those are going to be in trouble, eh? But the greatest love that there is, is as we've heard this morning, is the love of Jesus. And, and really, I, I think, and I agree with what my wife said earlier on, that unless you know the Lord and the love of the Lord, you cannot truly love in its full sense. And we're going to continue our study. We are uh, in our study XOXO, a series about love, relationships, and the church. We cannot do life without relationships. In part one last week, we spoke about loving your neighbor. In our text last week, Jesus said that the first commandment is to love God above everything else with your whole being. And the second command is to love your neighbor as yourself. We learn that our neighbor is every image bearer. You see, God created us in his image and likeness. And therefore, we are his image bearers. And whenever you see another person, another human being, that is an image bearer. That person is your neighbor. And we must love them. Jesus used the parable of the Good Samaritan to illustrate what loving should be like, what loving your neighbor should be like. True love not, is not only based on emotion, on feeling. You know, very often when you hear the word love, you go, ooh, love, you know, oh, the feeling, the butterflies in your stomach when he looks at him or he looks at her. And that is only one aspect of love. <laughs> that is true, by the way. It does happen. But that in itself, the butterflies... That is not the love. That's something else, okay? It's the attraction and everything else. True love is more than just an emotion, more than just a feeling. But true love is a choice, a choice to put ourselves aside and love others even when we don't feel like it, <laughs> all right? Or even when we think that they don't deserve it. I think our greatest example of love is Jesus on the cross, right? He loved us so much, you heard this morning. He loved you and I so much that he took our punishment, our sins, our you know, neglect of God and his things. He took that punishment so that you and I could be forgiven and connected with God again. Do you think that when it was time to go to the cross, Jesus said, Ooh, I just can't wait to go to the cross. Hallelujah. I can't wait to be nailed. No ways. Remember what he said in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, isn't there a plan B up there? He was sweating blood, man. He did not want to go to the cross. Love sometimes is painful. And do you think as he looked at you and I, with all our nonsense, do you think he, 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 he thought we deserved it because of what we had done? No. We did not deserve his love because of what we had done. We simply deserved his love because he loved us full stop. He saw value in us because he also saw us as God's image bearers. And he gave his life for us. And those of us who understand that love and, and receive that love, we get to become what? Children of God. Hallelujah. And so, love is not always just a feeling. Loving your neighbor is showing mercy and caring for others. Loving your neighbor requires awareness, requires effort, Requires engagement. 
you're going to love someone, sometimes you have to engage with that person. It requires fearlessness. If you're afraid of everybody and afraid of everything, you cannot truly love them because you're afraid, okay? And sometimes love requires sacrifice. It is based on agape love, a love that wants the best for the other, a love that is concerned with the interest of another person, a selfless love. It is the love that grows out of knowing God and His goodness and grace. And because we understand the goodness and grace of God towards us, we share that goodness and grace with others. Jesus also said that we must love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And I mentioned last week that we need to have a healthy self-love. I mentioned that if you have no healthy self-love or self-respect, it will reflect in the way that you treat others. I elaborated on the fact that some people do not love themselves. They have a negative self-image due to social pressures or due to comparing themselves to others. But there is another side to the unhealthy self-love. And it is the fact that some people think so much of themselves that they think that the universe revolves around them. (laughs) There is pride. There is a sense of entitlement. And this kind of love will cause them to use people instead of loving people. And so we have to be careful of all forms of wrong self-image or wrong self-assessment. The Bible says the following in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Listen carefully. It says, Don't think of yourself more highly than you should. Be reasonable when you think about yourself. Be reasonable when you think about yourself. Don't think of yourself more than what you are. Don't think of yourself less than what you are. Amen? Be reasonable about that. Loving our neighbor requires us to become aware of who our neighbors are. Your neighbor's there where you live. Your neighbor's there where you work, where you go to school, where you shop. People around you. And be available to respond to the whispers of the Holy Spirit when He guides you to do or to say something unusual or spontaneous. The Lord knows your neighbor. And when He guides you to do or say, have an action, respond to the Holy Spirit and you will be a blessing to your neighbor. Now, loving your neighbor is the starting point. We are all supposed to love our neighbor. Loving your neighbor, loving others, treating others with respect. Now, this will lead you to connect with some people who may become your friends. They may start off as your neighbors, as someone you know at work or where you live, but that can evolve into a friendship. And that is a topic today in part two of our series. Today we're talking about love your friend. So let's talk about friendship love today. Friendship is a special type of relationship that brings much joy, growth, and trust into someone's life. The Bible even says that there are friends, real friends, that can be closer to you than a brother, a brother in the flesh. Proverbs 18.24 says the following, 
A man who has friends must show himself friendly. So, would you like to have friends? Rule number one, be friendly yourself. You can't walk around with a long face and mumbling and grumbling the whole day and then say, I've got no friends. <laughs> be friendly. Be friendly to other people first. But then he says the following. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And sometimes in life you might come across friends who will be closer to you than your brother or sister in the flesh. Uh, during the ministry of Jesus, his brothers didn't, weren't very close to him. They were not quite sure that he was who he said he was. Later on, they believed. But take James, for example, half-brother of Jesus. He, he wrote one of the New Testament books, the book of James. But while Jesus was ministering, James wasn't close to Jesus uh, the Apostle John was a lot closer to Jesus than James was. Huh? He had a friend. Jesus had a friend who was closer to him than his brother. When Jesus was dying, the disciples were not there. His brother James and the others were not there. John was there. His friend was there. And, and so sometimes in life we can be blessed. And there can be such a thing as a friend who is closer than a brother. Everyone wants a friend by their side. To laugh with, to experience life with, to feel loved by. But in today's world, many people unfortunately have friendships that are based on shallow foundations. In a day and time when we have Twitter and Facebook friends... It can be easy to forget what real friendships look like, what a real relationship actually is. And of course, going through two years of pandemic doesn't help it much, does it? We see people who use their friends for status, for comfort, or just because they're lonely. We see friends which are fickle. They are best buddies today, and enemies tomorrow for no real logic reason. Any misunderstanding becomes a reason to cut off friendship even before having an honest discussion about the matter. Now, the agape kind of love, the love that wants the best for the other, the love which forgives and thinks the best of the other does not seem to feature in many friendships today, it is sad to say. Actually, studies show that we are the most connected people in the history of the world. And yet, we are the most lonely. Can you believe it? Most connected and most lonely. Do you know that you can be lonely in a crowd? You can be surrounded by people and be lonely, and that is what's happening today. In the book Social by Matthew Lieberman, he reports on a survey of people's social connections that was completed in 1985 and again in 2004. Now, people were asked to list their friends in response to the question, listen, over the last six months, who are the people with whom you discussed matters important 
to you. Maybe you want to take that little survey yourself right now. Don't tell anybody, just think to yourself. The last six months, think of the last six months. Who are the people with whom you have discussed matters that are important to you? Not superficial stuff. Not the weather and the latest movie or whatever. Matters that are important to you. You know, personal stuff, deep stuff. Well, in 1985, the most common number of friends listed was three. Okay? And 59%, almost two-thirds of the people interviewed, they said that they had three or more friends fitting this description with whom they could discuss these matters. But by 2004, the most common number of friends with whom you could discuss important matters was zero in the survey. And only 37%, just about a third, just about a third, of responders listed three or more friends. Back in 1985, only 10% of the people indicated that they had zero confidence, zero people with whom they could open their hearts, ask for an opinion, be truthful, and, 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 and share their lives with. 10% had nobody. But by 2004, this number had climbed to 25%. And as Lieberman says, one out of every four of us is walking around with no one to share our lives with. One out of every four of us is walking around with no one to share our lives with. Yeah, you've got people that you can hey, like and, and send messages to and good morning, good evening, and uh, you know, say hello, people to talk to at school. But 2004, today, this number has probably increased. One out of every four people has no one to share their lives with. That means in a room like this, there could be 20 of us here today that hasn't got anybody to really sit down, that you feel confident, that you feel secure, that you can be vulnerable with, that you know you're not going to be judged, you're not going to be tackled. You know you're going to share something and they're not going to run and tell their best pals that it's going to stay there. Isn't it sad that you are surrounded by people but the number of people that you can confide with truly is decreasing. We are becoming a friendless generation. We have lots of people we know but no true close friends. We are surrounded by friends on social media, school, work, and church, but without true friends with whom you can be real and share the deeper things of our lives without fear of being judged, rejected, or losing that friendship. As I said before, Friendship is a special type of relationship that brings much joy, growth, and trust into someone's life. It is possible to have such friendships. As we read earlier, one can even have friends which are closer than your brother in the flesh. Now, the Bible describes friendship as a deep and intimate relationship that is much deeper than superficial connections. True friendship 
requires much more than fun times and common interests. A true and loving friendship involves the following. It involves love. It involves sacrifice. It involves loyalty. And it involves emotional involvement. We see this type of love displayed in the Bible by the friendship between David and Jonathan. As you remember, King Saul became jealous of David's achievements, and Saul wanted to kill David. Now, Saul could not understand why his eldest son, Jonathan, had such deep friendship for David. And why Jonathan would take David's side sometimes against his own father. Jonathan was next in succession to the throne. And Saul tried to convince Jonathan that as long as David is alive, Jonathan is not going to become king. And that is one of the reasons why Saul wanted to destroy David, because he was so popular and so loved by the people. But Jonathan would not hear of it. He was completely loyal to David, his friend. They trusted each other completely. Now, I'm not going to read all this, but if you go to the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel, chapters 18 and chapter 20, chapter 18 and chapter 20, it talks much about their friendship. And I suggest this week, take some time and read chapter 18, 19, and 20 of 1 Samuel. And just observe for yourself the depth of commitment these two guys had for each other. In 1 Samuel 18 verses 1 to 6, we see that David and Jonathan, they even made a covenant with each other. And this was a sign of the loyalty they had between them. You see, when we are truly friends with someone, our loyalty to them is rooted in trust. We know we can trust them around our spouse. We can trust them with our children. We can trust them to make decisions for us if they have to. And we trust that their intentions are pure in their actions towards us. We support and encourage them in their business endeavors. We attend their family functions. We commit to intercede for them. We also commit <laughs> to forgive each other our faults, according to Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Matthew 18, 21, 22. That's when, when Peter came to Jesus, remember? And he said, Lord, how, how often shall I forgive my, if my brother sins against me? My brother, my, my friends, my, the people I know. When, when they sin against me, how often shall I forgive them? Seven times? And Peter kind of said it with, a, with pride. Seven times? I'm prepared to forgive them? Seven times? Ain't I great? And Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, Peter. But up to 70 times 7. And actually, scholars says that this phrase, it relates to how many, time, how many times he should forgive his brother every day. Not in his life. Okay. So what he's saying is, guys, just be ready to forgive. Because what Jesus is saying is this. Hey, how many times do I forgive you? Am I counting? Every time you mess up and I forgive you? Why should you be counting? Just forgive. Forgive your brother. <laughs> now, <clears throat> in 1 Samuel chapter 20, talking about Jonathan and David, it says that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. 
He's explained the same kind of Jesus love spoke to. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. And you should indeed love our neighbors as you love ourselves. In, in 1 Samuel 20, verse 17, it says, Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. We also see sacrifice displayed in David and Jonathan's relationships. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 4, it says, And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow on his belt. What he was doing? Jonathan made a sacrifice of stripping himself of his own armor, his royal wear, and he shared it with David, a shepherd. I mean, he's nobody in the kingdom. <laughs> Jonathan is the prince, and he's giving royal stuff to this shepherd boy simply because of the deep friendship they had. This was Jonathan's sacrifice of his own Hairship. A Bible commentator noted that it is possible that Jonathan's gifts to David were a symbolic gesture. He may have suspected that David was God's chosen successor to the throne of Israel. And by giving David his robe, Jonathan may have been indicating that he was willing to give his authority to David, therefore relinquishing his claim to the throne. You see, a true friend recognizes the talents, the gifts, and the callings of the other friend. Hello? In our world today, when a friend sees that his friend has gifts and talents, they tend to become jealous. A true friend acknowledges, recognizes it. Instead of being jealous and trying to bring the friend down, a true friend is ready to make a sacrifice so that his friend can succeed. A, a very common term is around here is, is, is the crab mentality. We talk about it in South Africa, but I think it's known all over the world. You know, if, if, you, if you take one crab and you put it in a bucket, you, you'll find this way you'll crawl out. But if you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket, you can leave them there. Nobody's going anywhere. Because as soon as one crab is trying to get to the top, the others pull him right down again. And isn't that how some friendships work? Huh? You see your colleague at work, he's climbing up the ladder. He, he, he's, being, he's working hard, he's being successful. So everybody else conspires against him to put him down. Start talks and starts murmurs or does something to mess him, to make to embarrass him. You're trying your best at school to, to get to the top of the class. And all the friends are, ah, teacher spit, eh, goody, goody. Or, or try to get you to lose your focus. Let's go and play. Let's go to the movies. Let's go and chase the girls, the guys, whatever. Crab mentality. A true friend doesn't do that. A true friend will encourage you, push you. If necessary, they'll sacrifice so that their friend can succeed. A true friend requires acts of loyalty, sacrifice, and self-reflection. Self-reflection helps you to have a realistic and healthy view of who you are and who your friend is helps you to value what you have in your friend and what your friend has in you. I read earlier in the Bible that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And the greatest role model of a friend <laughs> is Jesus himself. Jesus himself. 
As we get ready to have communion just now, let us think about that. And, and while I'm talking, I'm going to ask the ushers to please distribute the, uh, the communion sets. You can remain seated. And everybody is invited to have communion. You don't have to be a member of this church. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, even if today you're realizing, man, Jesus is truly my friend. I want to be part of this. Jesus invites you to the table. We don't have a table, okay? But the communion is a reminder of the table that Jesus sat at with his disciples. And he broke bread with them. And he said, guys, do this in memory of me until I return. And until Jesus returns, we're going to continue to have moments like this when we remember what he did. So remain seated, and if you want to be part of communion, when the ushers come past, they're going to give you a little set. It's, it's, it's bread and, and, uh, and uh, wine in a little sealed set. So please, guys, just go ahead and start distributing while I am talking, please. Don't wait for me to finish. Anyway, David and Jonathan made a covenant. Oh, and you guys at home, get your, your bread and your wine ready, okay, for us to have communion just now as well. So David and Jonathan made a covenant with each other to be friends. It probably included a, a covenant ceremony. They, they may have had a meal together, you know, exchanged bread and, and wine and had a, a, a ceremony about that. Now, Jesus instituted communion as a reminder of the friendship covenant he has with us. I, I grew up singing the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. All right? Some of you may remember that. If you remember it, it dates you, so don't say it out too loud. But they sing it in school, sing it in church. What a friend we have in Jesus. And, and truly, Jesus is a friend. Calling Jesus a friend is not taking Jesus lightly. Brother, can I have, one, can I have a, a set here as well, please? Calling Jesus a friend is not taking Jesus lightly. Because Jesus himself, he said this. Thank you, brother. Thanks, bud. Jesus himself said the following. If you read in John 15, 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Jesus says, I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Yes, we do serve Jesus. Yes, we do follow his commands. But we do it as friends, not as servants. He deals with us as a friend, not as the boss over the servants. We are friends. In verse 13 of John 15, Jesus said the following, Greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for his, what? Friends. You see, when Jesus died on that cross, he wasn't thinking of you as an enemy. He wasn't thinking of you as someone far from the cross. He was loving you and dying for a friend. Now, the choice is mine and yours. Are we going to respond to his invitation to friendship or not? Friendship cannot be forced. Friendship is spontaneous. Jesus makes an invitation. I'm giving my life for you. 
Because I love you. Will you be my friend? He does not force you. I have chosen to be a friend of Jesus. And you? Real friendships cannot be forced. One of my friends long ago, once upon a time, said to me, Valdir, if you're going to be friends, you're going to call me every two weeks. I said, you've got to be crazy. <laughs> what is this? Is this a friendship or a contract? And I've got friends today, we don't call each other every two weeks. Sometimes we don't call each other for months. But when you sit down, it's there. And we can share heart to heart. Huh? <laughs> you cannot force friendship. It's not based on rules and regulations. And Jesus doesn't force his love on us. It's an open invitation. Jesus calls us friends. And he showed the depth of his love to us as his friends by laying down his life for us. That we may have life. Ah, and live forever with him. So, let us learn to treat our friends with the same love Jesus treats us. With the same patience. Amen. Ah, with the same margin of forgiveness. With the same mercy that he has for us. So, as we now celebrate our friendship with Jesus, may it remind us that true friendship requires much more than fun times and common interests. We need to love our friends through acts of loyalty and sacrifice to you. Amen? Praise God. Let's stand up as we share in communion now. Let's open and uh, open carefully and remove the bread and then let us pray. Father, we thank you for the bread, fruit of the ground, reminding us of the body of Jesus, which was hung up on that cross, torn and broken for our sins, taking our punishment, our sickness, our disease. Lord Jesus, thank you for your deep love for us, for submitting to the will of God and for taking and paying the price for us. We love you and we thank you. Thank that you call us friends, Lord Jesus. That you did this for us, seeing us as your friends. We thank you for that, Lord. Amen. Take and eat and remember your great friend, Jesus. Carefully open the, the cup. And uh, let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the fruit of the vine, reminding us of the blood of Jesus poured for us. Lord, your blood, it didn't just cover up our sins, but it, it took them out completely. And even though we are still broken, sinful humanity,
when Father God looks at us, he sees us pure because he sees us through your blood. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Your blood has purified us. Yes, we're still a work in progress. All of us, Lord. Some of us need more work than others, but all of us, Lord, are still in progress. But thank you, Lord, that because of your blood, we can call you our friend, our God, our Lord. The way is open. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. Amen and amen. They can drink and celebrate this friendship. Hallelujah. Mm. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience with us, my Lord. Thank you for your loyalty. And Lord Jesus, help us to reflect your love. In some way, in some small way, Lord, help us to reflect your love to our friends and to our neighbors, Lord. But especially with our friends, Lord, in, in friendships these days, which are so, so fickle, yet today, gone tomorrow, help us, Lord, through your example and through your love in us to build lasting, strong friendships. For your glory, we pray, Lord. And so now, May the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us as we follow His example. Love our neighbors. Love our friends. To the glory of God. Amen. And amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hey. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy Valentine's Day tomorrow. And see you next week for another kind of love. See you Sunday. Amen. Praise God.